Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. We have plenty to get to here on another episode as we sort our way through Penn State roster movement. There's been a bunch of it. We had Brian Doan on last episode, the national recruiting analyst with 24-7 Sports, to break down some of the big additions of late. Anthony Specka, a four-star composite linebacker from the state of Pennsylvania, jumped on board on Tuesday right before we had Brian on. And, of course, there was Dante Cephas news to break down. He committed on Sunday night, widely regarded as one of their premier available receivers in the transfer portal. Since then, it was a name that we alluded to with our conversation with Brian Doan on Tuesday. Uh, Malik McLean out of Florida State spent a couple of years down in, in Tallahassee. He is now not just committed to Penn State, not just enrolled. He is in the classroom here in Happy Valley. So things move quickly in this college football era. Here's a prime example of a second wide receiver joining the 2023 plan for Penn State. Cephas, as we have documented, not going to be on campus until after this spring semester. That's not the case with McLean. He'll be working with a new receivers coach soon. He'll be trying to make an impression in 15 spring practice periods come March and April. And to get a better impression of what Penn State gains with this edition, we bring in Brendan Sunone, who covers the Florida State Seminoles down in Tallahassee for 24-7 sports. And uh, Brendan, I know you are busy. The transfer portal cycle has been huge for the Seminoles. A lot of focus on what they've brought in. Of course, McLean is one of those outgoing players, and we're just getting to know him here in Happy Valley. So we thank you for lending your perspective. Yeah, for sure. Thanks thanks for having me. Yeah, the transfer portal business has been a booming uh, for Florida State, but uh, a lot of good players coming in. You're going to lose some as well. Malik McLean is a good player that Florida State definitely lost. We're going to jump into a lot about what Penn State has brought in a little bit later here on the episode with our recruiting guy, Tyler Calvaruso. But we're going to focus in on McLean with you, of course. And let's start with just generally, how would you kind of summarize those two seasons that he spent down at Florida State? 25 total games appeared in, nine starts as a true freshman in 2021. Very solid. Yeah, so he was a, a fairly high commodity for Florida State. They were at the verge of losing him to Ole Miss late in the recruiting process process as a high uh, high end three star low end four star i'm trying to remember i think it was a low end four star that's what he finished at in the composite ranking but, but a coveted prospect nonetheless and someone that they really wanted and honestly when he came to tallahassee uh, there were people inside the program that spoke so highly of him to where they thought uh, this is kind of a, a two-pronged deal here but one florida state's talent on offense was pretty diminished uh early on in the mike norvell era and and so they thought that malik mcclay would have a chance to be the first uh, skill player who would be an NFL draft pick among uh, among the among the guys who were on the roster in 2021. Uh, so they brought him in. They thought highly of him. He ended up carving out some playing time for himself early on in his career. He, he played a lot as a true freshman. Uh, never took a huge jump forward in year two. The wide receiver room got more crowded as they brought in some, some transfers. 
Uh, but Malik was always very solid, did a lot of things really well. I know we'll get into it a little bit more, but just a very solid, reliable player for FSU through his first two seasons of college football. And looking through what he was able to accomplish down there, the, the numbers aren't gaudy, but he, he played quite a bit of football, uh, 33 catches, 396 yards, five total touchdowns in 25 career contests in, in a Seminoles uniform. Um, when we kind of look at the the initial reaction around here in Happy Valley, a lot of people pay attention to that size. Uh, listed last season mm -hmm. at six foot four, uh, right around 200 pounds. Uh, a lot of teams covet that kind of size in the receiver position. It was a need for the Nittany Lions. How does he use that size based on what you've seen? Is he a guy that that it is an intimidating physical presence? Because not all six foot four long receivers are that out on the field. So so the size to me, there's three different factors here when you talk about Malik McLean's game. Uh first off, I think his deep speed is pretty good for a guy with that's a that's a bigger framed wide receiver. He really he he can get going vertically. Uh, not at an elite level, but at a good level, enough to where you're going to have to respect him. You probably won't be able to leave him one-on-one -on -one, uh, because he's big enough to get off of press coverage, and, and then he can stretch the field vertically. It's much kind of like, like a long strider type of deal. Uh, so he has that. That's that's an asset to his game. That's something that a good coordinator can definitely take advantage of. Uh, number two is red zone presence, and that's an area to me that I think can get better for Malik McLean, but you see glimpses of it for sure. Go back to Boston College, I think it was, in 2021, uh, two seasons ago, uh, and there's a, a really impressive red zone catch, like a back shoulder fade type of deal where you see the size and uh, the ability to adjust to the ball. Uh, the ability to use his frame and, and bully defensive backs is something that I want to see Malik do more of, and hopefully he can do more of at, at Penn State because that'll get him to the next level as being a, a bona fide like number one, number two wide receiver type at the college level, maybe even elevating his game to be a pro caliber prospect. It's there. It's in the arsenal. I think Vermey's just younger in his his process of development. Remember, he's only been in, in college football for two years. Uh, so red zone presence is there. He's going to use his size sometimes. Got to do it more consistently. Uh, number three, and this is the thing, the thing I think uh, Penn State fans are really going to like about him, very high-end blocker. A lot of energy outside. He will hustle. He'll get downfield. He'll use his frame to get in the way of defensive backs and, and shield them out on run plays. He's someone who's going to, to work really hard in that aspect of the game. Uh, Mike Gravel does a really good job, and Ron Dugans, the wide receiver coach, do a really good job of, of emphasizing that at Florida State. I think Penn State's going to benefit a lot from a, uh, a guy who's been coached well in that regard and someone who, frankly, just he likes blocking. He does a good job of it, seems to take pride in it. Uh, so you guys will have that to look forward to as well. He'll be able to contribute in that aspect, certainly. I think all of us who cover you know, respective college football beats, we, we get to the finish line of the season with some names in mind that we think are going to maybe make sense to go to the transfer portal. In McLean's situation, was the writing on the wall there when the season was wrapping up in December, or was this more of a, a surprise down in Tallahassee? Uh, yes and no. So he initially uh, – I was told that he was going to have an NIL deal with the collective in Tallahassee, uh, but that was never – announced which was peculiar and so that made us start kind of wondering did some digging uh found out that he was tempted to enter the transfer portal in december but like some other transfers and some some like coveted like high-end transfers who left the program uh Treshawn ward went to kansas state amari gainer went to north carolina i think so guys who, who went to two good power five programs as well malik mcclain played through the bowl game and we didn't really hear anything of what was going to happen there so he was on the radar potentially tyler someone who, who might transfer the wide receiver room uh, as i mentioned earlier it got fairly crowded last offseason with 
four transfer portal additions. None of them leave the roster. You're bringing in a couple of prospects this, this, from the cycle, including a five-star hiking Williams. So uh, things were starting to get a little log jammed at wide receiver, and there wasn't a guarantee that Mike McLean was going to have a bigger role. Uh, he was good this past year. He started three games for FSU, had 200-plus receiving yards. But I think for someone that has a truncated amount of time remaining in his college career, two to three seasons, uh, probably made sense for him to go to a place where he he could be guaranteed of a certain role. So I know it's kind of a meandering answer to your question there. I, I wasn't surprised when it happened. I wasn't totally sure it was going to happen, but it, but it was on the radar, I guess. You've witnessed half of his college career. He's, he's got those two remaining seasons of eligibility to use. You, you tracked him, I imagine, coming out of, of high school in Alabama. Based on what you've seen so far and based on what you think he can be, how much is left on the table here for, for the next two years of his career, spending them in Penn State? Uh, there's upside to be a wide receiver one type of guy. Uh, definitely wide receiver two. I don't think he's far away from that at all. Actually, I think that's probably a, a realistic chance. Now, I'm not super privy to the Penn State wide receiver room uh, where he would be in that pecking order, Tyler. But but I do know like that he's not far off from that at Florida State. Um, if, if a couple of upperclassmen had left, he would have probably slid right into that role. Uh, he's someone that I think can be a productive, consistent wide receiver. I think the big thing for him, like I mentioned earlier, is to use that size to his advantage consistently. Uh, to be a, you know, when you talk about a 50-50 ball proposition, for to be a legitimate 50-50 proposition. Like if it's if it's a back shoulder fade for him to win half the time on, on those type of throws. I think there were times where they got him isolated one-on-one. And he just wasn't able to out-physical someone or, or play through a of a physical defense. So if Malik takes that next step, which again, he's young, he, he's, he's a young, a young prospect. He's entering year three in his college career. If he does make that leap physically, he's able to add a little bit more weight in the strength conditioning program and another good power five program. Like, yeah, like he's someone that has a legitimate upside to be a wow, 650, 800 yard receiver at the college level and has enough physical tools who knows to even maybe surpass that and become an NFL type of guy. Like he's, he, he has that type of upside just a matter of again, doing it consistently. Yeah. That's the interesting part about this in the transfer portal area. You get some of those one and done, you know, senior graduate player kind of plug and play prospects. And here you've got a guy that you hope to plug and play him in some kind of role receiver here in 2023, but because of the eligibility you're working with, there's also a developmental aspect to McLean. And I guess I'll finish on McLean with this. I mean, we're probably not going to get him in an interview media setting for several months now. What's the vibes around this guy off the field in terms of what he's bringing to campus to the locker room, if you have a feel for that? Uh, good vibes. Good dude. Uh, there was nothing like ever uh, negative about him at any point. I think he left in good graces with the coaching staff, which with teammates, uh, someone who, who works hard in practice, uh, kind of, I wouldn't even say shy, just, just soft-spoken, reserved, uh, very meticulous, I guess, in his thought process. He takes time when you ask him questions and thoughtful and answering them. Uh, so I, I like Malik McClain. I like covering him. Uh, you, you'll enjoy the, uh, the South Alabama accent, North Florida accent. When you get to to meet him, like a little Forrest Gumpy, uh, it's kind of kind of nice and like very like just drawn out and and a very Southern charm to him. So so you guys will like him. But yeah, good dude who who was well regarded by everyone on the team. Uh, I, I know a lot of people in the fan base were sad to see him go. I know pro, uh, players were were bummed to see him go. But yeah, it's just kind of FSU's evolved as a program in the last few years. It's moved on a little bit to where. You know, playing time for guys like Malik McLean, Treshawn Ward, Murray Gaynor mentioned him earlier, just Sidney Williams, another guy, uh, safety at Missouri. 
now. Uh, just guys are going on to other Power Five programs just because the depth has improved at Florida State. Uh, just that, that's the deal with Malik. But yeah, you guys will like covered him for sure. Good dude. Sounds like a young man who wasn't pushed out the door in Tallahassee no. and, and didn't and didn't burn bridges on, on his way out of town. And so that's a pretty good combination in terms of where you're leaving and where you're going. While we have you, I, I mentioned this before we recorded uh, Penn State in their 2024 quarterback pursuit. Maybe you can, you know, bumping heads a little bit with the Florida State Seminoles. I shouldn't say a little bit. They hosted the Seminoles quarterback commit, uh, Luke Cromanhawk, on campus for a game this past season. So, obviously, there's some interesting things in play. Mike Yersich has been back down to see him. He's down in uh, the Bene uh, Benedictine Military School in Savannah, Georgia. Four-star prospect. Curious what you're hearing in terms of his relationship with the Florida State staff, his standing in that 2024 Seminoles class, and perhaps how the Seminoles are handling the fact that he got on a plane and spent some time here in Happy Valley. Uh, the one thing I will say about FSU's relationship with Luke Cromanhawk is that it is extremely transparent. Luke Cromanhawk will let the coaching staff know when he gets an offer. They will, he will say, hey, is it okay if I post this offer publicly? He doesn't have to do that at all. I think when he got the Penn State offer, he asked them, he said, hey, is it okay if I post that I got this? Like, yeah, sure. FSU is very secure with its relationship with Luke Cromanhawk. They got a commitment from him before he was a starting quarterback, holding, I'm going to butcher the name, Garnier, Garnier is now at Auburn, was starting uh, at quarterback before Luke was the starting quarterback at St. Pennington uh, in, in Savannah. So he... So FSU was in on him early and they've developed Tony Tokars, the quarterback coach has done a really good job of great job of developing that relationship. FSU thinks very highly of him and his upside. Uh, I personally, having seen him throw in person for a couple of years now, uh, he, he's gotten better each, each time I've seen him and he was impressive to begin with the ball flies out of his hand very naturally. Uh, so FSU is very excited about his upside. He's a really good athlete. I think Andrew Ivins, regional analyst, is very high on Luke Romanhawk and he's going to only continue to move up the rankings. So as it relates to FSU's relation, I said, I'd only say one thing about him and I've said like five or six up, uh, but with <laughs> FSU's relationship with him, uh, I think they're comfortable with him exploring games unofficially as an underclassman quarterback. If he starts going on, on official visits, uh, then, then I think things change a little bit in terms of like, mm -hmm. eh, you're the quarterback need to be the bell cow of this class. But right now, like I think they're they're totally cool because he's been so transparent because they are so comfortable with the relationship. If he wants to go somewhere unofficially and check out a campus uh, and get an experience for what else is out there, I, I think they're totally fine with that. To be honest, if they come to those crossroads with the official visit conversation, you know that that's that's the springtime. There's still a couple minutes, uh, still a couple months for us to get there. Uh, hey, I, I tempted you onto the show with, with some transfer portal talk. We ended up getting some recruiting quarterback talk, so I appreciate the double duty there, Brendan. You do a fantastic work with the Florida State site within our 24/7 Sports Network, and wishing you well as you continue to track everything we're trying to track up here as well down on your beat. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, happy spring football. Happy break in between uh, portal season. So, yeah, happy, happy relaxing time sort of for you guys up there. Try to find some yourself. Take care, Thank man. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, good stuff there from Brendan. And I know Penn State's very excited to ha- not just have uh, Malik on campus uh, this um, this spring, but have him uh, ready to compete for a new wide receivers coach. There was talk about uh, Cephas coming in after the spring. I know some people were a little let down by that, but to get uh, McLean here and active and, and running routes on your field with your young quarterbacks, major step forward for this offense um, and, and really right down to the wire here in terms of being able to get a fit at that position on campus and working with this team. Tyler Calvaruso has had his uh, fingers, hands, everything all over the transfer portal conversation in the recent months. And now, Tyler, the the, the, the window is closed. Um, I guess we're still maybe peeking around to see if there's any names. I think the schools have 48 hours to officially make sure that those names are in the portal. But we think Penn State's all finished up here in terms of who's leaving. In terms of who they brought on board, that conversation changed a lot this week. We have some catching up to do with you. You were under the weather earlier this week. Brian Doan did a lot of heavy lifting on our Tuesday show. But you're back. We're happy to have you. Happy to be back, man. I wanted to be on Tuesday's show. I was hoping I was going to be good for that. But I'm back, and we got a lot to talk about. So That's happy. right. Let's let's get right into the conversation that, that we just left off with Brendan. I know you were you were sitting in the back uh, waiting to, to hop on yourself, so you heard some of that. Uh, in terms of Malik McLean, uh, a guy who made that late visit to campus and really quickly called it home. Uh, it decided he wanted to be here, and it happened fast. He's already on campus. He's already preparing for winter workouts and spring practices. Talk us through the process from your perspective and the impact of not just getting a second wide receiver transfer on board, but getting a second wide receiver transfer who's going to participate in the months ahead. Pretty quick process. You know, this really came together in the span of about a week. So I remember when McLean first popped up in the portal and Brian Doan, you know, he talked about this on Tuesday that he got the call that Penn State was going to be heavily involved there and that McLean was high in the Nittany Lions and they recruited him coming out of high school back in 2020. So there was some familiarity there as well. And it surfaced that Penn State was looking to get him on campus for the official. And then he decided to go to South Carolina on Saturday. But Penn State never stopped pushing. They still wanted to get him on campus. They got him here on Sunday, and the staff really did a great job of locking, just locking him down, getting that deal done. You know, he gets in the directory, which we reported. There were still some details that had to be worked on the NIL front. Nothing crazy like the Devin Carter situation. Just, you know, small little things that were taken care of by Penn State. McLean was very, very appreciative of that. And this was really just a perfect storm for the Indy Lions. McLean, this, for a guy this good to pop up in the portal and for Penn State to be able to go in and close the deal so quickly and wind up with a second really good receiver after Dante Cephas. And there was so much talk about Penn State kind of failing with its pursuit of wide receivers in the portal. And then you got when you end with Cephas and McLean. It's like, what were we talking about for all these weeks? So great job by the staff to close strong McLean. All of it came together in really swift fashion. And 
Penn State really just pushed all the right buttons with the Florida native. And it seems like just he just seems like such a high character guy from everything you hear about the people in Tallahassee. He just seems like someone who's going to fit on and off the field with the Nittany Lions. McLean is bringing uh, just two years of college experience at the Power Five level, of course, and 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 racking up some starts along the way. Whereas Dante Cephas, a couple really commanding years as a frontline wide receiver for Kent State, uh, an offense that was pretty exciting to follow the last couple of years, and and Cephas, who will be on campus after the spring semester commits on Sunday night. It's a name that we have talked about a bunch on this podcast, Tyler. It's the first chance for you to do so uh, now that he has gone public with coming to Penn State. What's your impression of not just the fact that they got him on board, but that they got him on board through all the noise that we were discussing along the way? Again, this was another one that the staff really had to see through because there was a lot of moving parts with Seafish. You know, how did they get him in with the whole credit situation at Kent State? And obviously, as we know, he'll be going back to Kent State, finishing up there, and then becoming to Penn State. So there's not going to be any issues once it becomes time for him to arrive on campus. All of that stuff is going to be figured out. So that's all water under the bridge. You know, there were reports that Seafish were going to pit. I'm kind of in the same boat as Dome and what he said on Tuesday. I never really bought it. It just felt like Penn State was always on top in this situation. I know he visited elsewhere. He was on Pitt's campus multiple times. He made it out west to check out UCLA. But it just felt like if Penn State really, really wanted Cephas, it was going to get him, and that came to fruition. And Terry Smith deserves a lot of credit for that. We see all the work that he does in Pittsburgh. Cephas being a Pittsburgh kid at Penn Hills, just this was another another really perfect storm for Penn State. And we talked about going out and getting weapons and guys for Drew Aller to work with. Now we're talking about Cephas as a potential number one when it's all said and done, in my opinion. I think he has that kind of talent. We've seen it with the big season he had at Kent State. We saw it last year, even though he was banged up and Kent State was going through what was pretty much an offensive rebuild. He was still able to perform well and have some monster games. So the talent's there. He could stretch the field. He could do a lot of different things in this offense. So Penn State really excited to get him on board officially after everything that was going on. So they're just really thrilled with that and they, counting down the days for him to get to campus, really. You all remember that Ohio team that Penn State played in week two. Well, Cephas played against them, too. He had 13 catches for 250-plus yards at one point. I think he had nine 100-plus yard games in the last couple of seasons with Kent State. So a lot of track record, granted, at the group of five level, but you're bringing him on board for this quarterback and Drew Aller that everybody thinks the world of. All of a sudden, you got a couple potential starting caliber wide receivers in this yeah. group. Uh, and, and we've talked a lot about the young ups, upswell of young talent at wide receiver that a new coach is going to work on cultivating. But the tight end room is well-stocked despite losing Brenton Strange. The running back room, we, we know, maybe the most formidable tandem of rushers in the country in Singleton and Allen. So you think about an enviable spot for a young quarterback to step up to. Oh, by the way, Tyler Calvaruso, he's got six offensive linemen who started at least five games during the 2022 season. So Drew Aller and Mike Yersich and company are making sure that he has a all the tools he could possibly need uh, around him. And I think you made a great point. There was a lot of consternation. Uh, as names surfaced, names went elsewhere about who would end up filling out this wide receiver portal class. And for us to get to the point where you're, what, uh, less than two weeks into this spring yeah. semester and you've got Cephas on board, you've got McLean on campus. I mean, that is as positive of an outcome I think we could have, any of us could have predicted. And oh, by the way, you fired your wide receivers coach on Sunday. So how, what are you hearing on that level? Because you're talking to wide receivers at the high school level. 
We're talking about wide receivers at the transfer level. And yet the guy who is going to be leading that room is still TBD publicly right now because Penn State is working through that process. Yeah, they are working through it, and a lot of it has been kept pretty close to the vest. The one thing I will say about that whole situation is that it feels like Penn State's really looking to make a, a recruiting splash with yeah. that hire. You know, Stubblefield was really great with on the development front, and, you know, he did have some wins on the recruiting trail, but there was still a little bit left there to be desired, I would say. And, you know, you look back to this past cycle, Carmelo Taylor being the only guy to sign. Penn State has wanted to add at that position, and they really want to go out and get a dynamic recruiter. So – I don't anticipate this one dragging on for, you know, really that much longer. I don't think it's going to be a situation like those weeks and weeks and weeks where we're still sitting here discussing who the next wide receivers coach is going to be. Because obviously, you know, you're getting these guys on campus for junior day. You want to start building these relationships. You want to get someone in place. You talk about making a recruiting splash. The best way to do that is familiarize the new wide receivers coach with the 2020, the top 2024 targets as soon as you possibly can. So I would say Jane Franklin is on the hunt for a guy who could really dominate on the recruiting trail. I think if Penn State could find a guy who could do that, they could really take their recruiting to the next level just because they've really been able to get it done at every other position. We see it every cycle. And, yeah, they have been able to get it done at receiver too, but they want to take things up a notch. It's like what we've been saying about the wide receiver room itself this offseason. Yeah, Penn State likes what it has in there with guys like Keandre Lambert-Smith, Harrison Wallace, Evans, Sanders, all those guys. They love them, but they still want to get more explosive, and they want to get more explosive on the recruiting front as well. Yeah, we heard in December, right around signing day, uh, that that they felt like wide receiver, if they could they could get it a little bit further along, get it to where the tight end group is, the running back group is, get it on that kind of a tier, uh, then it could go a long way for the entire offensive structure. It feels like they've taken a step forward there. They're going to have to figure out the, the new leadership voice and how that's going to impact things. But if we're asking questions, and I know fans are asking questions on the message board about who the wide receiver coach is going to be and, and what the timing is, you better believe that James Franklin fielded questions about that subject from the transfers oh, yeah. who just came on board, from the recruits are coming to campus. Um, and he has an answer that he is confident in, uh, in in alleviating any kind of concerns about the situation. So I think take a lot of credence from that and what James Franklin is orchestrating behind the scenes right now. And, and we'll discuss that in detail and the recruiting impact uh, when they go public with the pick for wide receivers coach. We'll break that down here on the podcast. But looking ahead a little bit, as I said, the transfer portal uh, postseason version is closed. It was a 45-day experience, and I'll emphasize the word experience across oh, college football. Um, we've got another one coming up April 15th to the 30th, which I think is perfectly timed, especially from Penn State's perspective, because their blue-white game is April 15th. And then you have two weeks where – Guys can come out of spring practice, decide they got to look elsewhere. Potentially, Penn State can look elsewhere and bring in some talent for the summer. Uh, there's a lot out, out there. But just focusing on what we've seen the 45-day span here, a couple specialists come on board, Storm Duck comes on board at cornerback, and then you've got the two wide receivers that we just saw uh, join this group this week. What's your overall impression of Penn State's efforts? Maybe, maybe any unfinished business after those 45 days? I would say it's a pretty solid effort by the staff overall. When you take a step back and look at the big picture, they pretty much addressed every need they were going after. The one need I would say they maybe not necessarily fell short on, but they didn't address was on the defensive line, you know, interior defensive line depth, trying to replace PJ Mustaford. That didn't really come together. But at the same time, if you look at the guys that they were involved with and missed on, if you want to say that they missed on some guys, how much better is it than what they already have in-house, right? Now you have Devon Townley coming back as well. That's a guy who could bulk up and really play on the interior. I think that's kind of the expectation with him. So there is already there are pieces in place in Happy Valley, right? Just you know, while they do want to go out and add at the position, as you saw with some of the offers they put out, you know, being involved with 
typical Devon Sears type players. They did want to add on the interior. And in the end, they didn't, but that's something that could come about in the second wave in April. It's not, you know, we're not done with the transfer portal right now. Yes, that 45 day period is over, but we got a second wave coming in the not so distant future. You know, I said it's January, but April will be here before we know it. Um, you know how this works, man, especially with recruiting. It'll be here like that. So we'll, we'll be talking about transfer portal stuff again real soon. Trust me. But overall, you go out and get Storm Duck in the secondary, who I've raved about on this podcast pretty much every time we've discussed him. The guy who <laughs> yeah. I think would be in the league right now if he wasn't dealing with the injury stuff that he dealt with in North Carolina. He's an all-ACC corner, and you add that, it's a heck of a way to replace Joey Porter Jr. It might not be Joey Porter Jr., but you might be able to get similar level of production out of him when it's all said and done. I know Terry Smith's really excited about that one. They think they could get a lot out of him. And – you can't say enough about what they did at receiver. You know, we could rave about that too, all podcasts. It's just Stephenson McLean. That's a pretty good one too. And I like the specialist additions as well. I think they I think Riley Thompson and the kicker from Columbia, whose name is escaping me right now. Alex Falcons. Falcons, yeah. I I went and I looked at Falcons and I watched some of the highlights and I just looked at his track record. And I'm like, this guy's pretty freaking good. So you can go out and add two quality specials and just help your depth. We talk about the depth that you know, on the offense and defense, but when you can address your depth in the third facet of the game as well, hey, look, that's what makes you a championship team. That's what Penn State wants to be. So for the staff to go out and address all levels, pretty solid job. You really can't complain about what the staff accomplished in the portal, even though there was a lot of complaining for a while. Yeah, Falcons comes in uh, from the Ivy League level, by the way. Uh, Columbia, we talked about him on the last episode or last week, I think, when we were reviewing some of the January enrollees. But he's Columbia's all-time leader in points. Uh, Ended up converting a little bit less than 70% of his field goals there with Columbia. But he was four of six from 40-plus yards in the 2022 season. And he's the guy who also handled those kickoff specialist duties, which you're also losing with Jake Pinnegar. And by the way, Riley Thompson, the FAU transfer, 23-year-old Aussie, uh, former Australian rules uh, player, and, and now we'll see what he's got in store for us. I think he's got one year of eligibility left, uh, and 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 yet I think he was a freshman All-American last year. It's one of those weird things because of his his history, uh, but he's got one year to do it here, and they, they need a punter with Barney and more moving on. They got some candidates there. I just circling back to Storm Duck very quickly. I, I had a note up on the board today at lines247.com, but kind of just wrapping my head around what Penn State's done early in the spring semester with Manny Diaz, a defense coordinator last year, Tyler, I know you weren't covering Penn state, but the only scholarship player they brought on board between Manny Diaz arriving in December and the summertime was Zane Durant. That was it. Freshman defensive tackle enrolled last January, had a strong spring, ends up being a rotational piece, plays 13 games, but that was it. That was on board early. Now you've got Storm Duck here, a guy who could be a starting cornerback for you. Uh, you've got uh, five defensive prospects on, on campus. Three of them are top 24-7 prospects, according to our site. Uh, two of them at linebacker, one at cornerback. So uh, it's just really impressive to, to, to me to see what they're able to do, replenishing, restocking in a way that just didn't exist last year. And defensively, I think that's really going to go a long way for this group as everybody's feeling a lot more comfortable with what Manny Diaz is preaching, the returning players. They can help facilitate the growth for the freshman, for the transfer player, because they lived it before. Last year, everybody was learning together through spring ball. So I think if you're looking for a a launch pad this spring, you can find it on this defensive side of the football. There is a ton going on right there that I like, and Storm Duck is a part of that equation. Uh, I wanted to to get into what we've got cooking on the recruiting trail, of course, because Anthony Specka – 
uh, gums on board with the 2024 class. Finally, Cooper Cousins has some company. We've made that joke a lot. We don't have to do it anymore about him being the only man in the 2024 class. But in-state pickup from one of, uh, from Pittsburgh Powerhouse, there's a lot to love about adding Anthony Specca, who's a four-star composite prospect. You know, I before Specca officially committed, I wrote in an article that I felt that if we're, if Speckle were to come on board, it might wind up as one of the more impactful commitments of the cycle for Penn State, and here's why. When you talk about Speckle, you're talking about a guy who not only fits the defense perfectly as an inside linebacker who has a high football IQ, is a sure tackler, really strong kid, and just fits what you're looking for out of a mic. Anyone that you talk to about Anthony Speckle, if you go, you talk to the people at Central Catholic, you talk to the people who know him best. I mean, this he's a great kid. He, he's a natural leader. He commands the respect of everyone in the locker room. People gravitate towards him. So just when you talk about a class leader, Cooper Cousins has been that for a really long time. And not even just by default. He's been very active in recruiting on his own. But, I mean, Speckle's coming in. He's already on the road recruiting Quentin Martin. And granted, I know him and Quentin are, like, best friends. But still, I mean, less than 24 hours after he commits, he's at a Bell Vernon basketball game in Quentin's ear about coming to join him in Happy Valley. So, even that speaks volumes. You got a really good player and maybe an even better person, which is saying a lot considering how much I like Speckle's tape and what he brings as an inside linebacker. I know there's not a whole lot of positional versatility there with Speckle. He's pretty much just an inside guy, but – that's perfectly fine, especially when Penn State has the resources to surround Specca with really just athletic freaks like Will and Sam. Like, it's not that big of a deal, right? Not everyone has to be a 4-3-40 guy at linebacker. Specca can play in space, and he can get the job done as a tackler. And like I said, really high football IQ. I like what Brian Dunn said about him earlier this week. He kind of knows where the play is going before the offense even knows where the play is going. That's just what you see out of him on film. His instincts are elite, man, so... Penn State fans should be happy about this one. And the staff is really happy they got a guy like Specca early because, like I said, Whenever you can add a leader of this degree so early in the cycle, it's only going to help your class come together as nicely as possible. And to add to that, it's if you get a guy who's got those innate leadership qualities, but he's in high school in North Carolina, that's a, that's a good thing. If you've got exactly. a guy with those innate yeah. leadership qualities and he's here in Pennsylvania within driving distance, as he has already proven Jeez. of other Penn State targets. And let's talk about that because, look, Two for two, at least so far, in, in Pennsylvania prospects being committed to this class with Cooper Cousins, Anthony Specca. There will be non-regional additions upcoming, but a lot of focus on what they can accomplish within state borders here in the 2024 cycle. There's been a lot of names to know early on in the process, and you followed up Specca's announcement with a, a review of other names that may be following him towards a commitment. Uh, can you break us, uh, talk us through that a little bit and break down what's realistic and what may need to be uh, requiring some patience moving forward in the cycle. So just starting with Quentin Martin, since I already touched on him, you know, we're just going to have to see how much of an element NIL plays in his recruitment. Penn State and Ohio State are right there, but there's still plenty of time for him to get out and make other visits, you know, and really get involved with the high-level NIL programs, and we all know who those are in this landscape. So while there is an intrigue for Quentin to stay home, I would say, you know, like I said, where is that IL going to stack up against the comfort level with the coaching staff playing close to home and just scheme fit and things of that nature. So that's one we're going to have to come back to throughout the cycle. There hasn't been a lot of noise there lately, but we'll see what comes about and where he makes visits during the spring. Rico Spot, Rico Scott, excuse me, from Bishop McDevitt, top 24-7 receiver who's on the radar, another guy. Penn State is vetting another really recruit. Really quiet recruitment. He was on campus twice in October, but not a whole lot from him since then on the Penn State front. We'll see where that one goes. Guys like Samaj Jones from the three-star quarterback from Philadelphia, St. Joseph's, loves Penn State. He anointed them his number one. 
after a very good junior day visit. Ken, we can't forget about big Kevin Haywood, right? The Archbishop Wood offensive tackle. He's not making it to Penn State this month, which is maybe a little bit surprising given his level of interest in the Nittany Lions, but I think that's more about him taking this month to get to the programs that he maybe hasn't been to as much. He's been to Penn State a bunch. I know he wants to get back and do a little bit more of an in-depth visit with the strength and conditioning staff, you know, the nutrition, just everything like that. He really wants to dive into that on his next visit to Penn State. And I feel like a lot of other schools involved in his recruitment haven't received that same level of attention yet. So I feel like this month for him is about that and really vetting his other options other than in-state. In and then, you know, Brandon Raymond, another one from St. Joseph Prep, good junior day visit. Really, this is a good 2024 class in Pennsylvania. It is. And I think Penn State's in a pretty good spot with a lot of the, those in-state guys. And one just popped up on the radar. Malachi Williams, the edge rusher, he got his offer during junior day. He was on campus, picked up the offer as he was leaving. Really high on Penn State. Early word is James Franklin loves him. The staff loves him. They see a lot of potential there. And he's starting to get rolling with Power 5 offers, but – I see Penn State being pretty hard to beat in that recruitment. He has an interest in staying home, and if the staff is going to push that, you know, I feel like that's a situation where Williams is. It's going to be hard to say no. Samaj Jones is someone you mentioned there, and he did a great job laying out a bunch of those Pennsylvania uh, standouts that that Penn so State many, well man. involved in. Uh, but Samaj Jones, you know, it's interesting as 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 Mike Yurcich and company, you know, craft this big board and and how they're going to tier it and, and who they're going to prioritize and a name that came up in that conversation earlier I just had with Brendan Sinone from the Florida State site was uh, Luke Cromanhawk and I know you've been quick to mention his name anytime we talk about quarterbacks KJ Jackson down to the south is a guy who's made the effort to get to campus he, he put together a really impressive junior season down in Alabama uh, but a new name on the board and a new in-state on the name on the board alongside his twin brother is Alex Irby Alex Andrew Irby picked up offers last Friday. And these are two that I think everybody who covers Penn state and, and, and has a sense of what's going on regionally. We're tracking. I mean, we saw both of these guys, we were standing side by side um, on Penn state practice facilities and, and out of the intramural fields last summer when I thought Alex Irby put together a really inspired afternoon and morning of work as the quarterback uh, for his Steelton high, high spire team. And, and, and as we get through that I said that this kid's a power five quarterback. I know you felt the same way, but we both had the same question. Is he a Penn State level kind of quarterback? The offer is out now. What do you make of the offer to the Irby twins? And how does this maybe impact how we view the quarterback board for 2024 moving forward? Well, I feel like, you know, with a guy like Irby, two quarterbacks for Penn State this cycle has always been in the cards. And mm -hmm. I feel like a guy like Irby and Samaj Jones, who we just touched on, those two would be ideal quarterback twos, in my opinion, just with the way they play, the mindset they have, how high they are on Penn State. I feel like if this is going to be a two-quarterback class, feels like it's going to be one of those two guys. And I know Jones has the 24-7 sports crystal ball, but Irby's definitely on the radar as well. You saw it with him in person, man. You just touched on it. I, I think he's a power five quarterback. I think he has that kind of arm. I think he has that kind of vision back there. I, he didn't really make a lot of bad reads during that seven-on-seven seven during the summer where he led Steele and Highspire to a pretty high placement in that tournament against some pretty good teams, right? Roman Catholic was out there. Our Lady Good Counsel from Maryland was there. And yep. Irby held his own against them. And then he followed that up late in July with a really strong camp performance that I was able to see in person. I thought the ball popped out of his hand. I thought he had a nice touch on his deep balls. I, I, I think he's a good player, and I do think he's a Power 5 quarterback. Will that be at Penn State? Well, now it's a possibility that that offer's out there. But 
you know, this is going to be a situation that we're monitoring really closely. Is it going to be Jones or is it going to be Irby or is it going to be another guy we're not even talking about right now, right? Because you know, they just offered Anthony Maddox out of Mississippi. That's a new name to know. They have an offer out to the Texas Tech commit, Will Hammond. That's a name to know. So there are a lot of guys that, you know, we haven't really dove too deep on because guys like Jones and Irby are at the forefront of the conversation as in-state guys. And, you know, we know how Penn State's philosophy is with that. They don't really offer in-state guys unless they're all in on going after them. And there are a bunch of yeah. reasons behind that. So Irby's got that offer. Now we just got to see where he falls on the board when it's all said and done. And to reinforce what you just said, how rare is that to see Penn State put out the in-state offer? Well, Bo Perbula, who signed in 2022, was the first in-state quarterback to sign with the Nittany Lions since 2010. So a dozen years go by, and it's not like cycle by cycle, Penn State's missing on the top quarterback in the state. Very selective process choice. by them. Yeah. Very selective. Out that that that's why this offer really stood out to me. Uh, we'll see we'll see what happens for Irby. I'd, I'd have to imagine there's a lot enticing about the opportunity from his vantage point. He's a kid who's six foot two, bit over two hundred pounds. And just one more thing on him: you mentioned some of those you know more powerhouse Mid Atlantic programs that that we saw him go up against. He had that one particular matchup against Good Counsel, and Good Counsel has more Power Five prospects yeah. uh, than his program. I'm just yeah, you know, put it out there. There's more. There's a little more personality, a little more ego out there because of some of that. And there was some chirping happening in the direction of Irby and his teammates. And I saw a quiet confidence that ultimately, once he started making some plays, carried over into some verbal confidence and what he was giving back to some of those good council players. That, to me, stood out because I've seen some really impressive athletic quarterbacks who can rip it and, and, and really check off a lot of boxes. But you see them get in a competitive atmosphere, maybe get outside of that comfort zone a little bit, get away from their high school field. And they can fold up, and you can see that. And in this case, uh, it, it's always dangerous to take too much from one anecdotal situation, but I really like the way Irby responded to that environment, especially knowing that Penn State coaches were riding around their golf carts. He's trying to make a strong impression. I like that he did not back down at the quarterback position. I thought that was important to see. Um, just generally looking up to this weekend, the next opportunity for Penn State to host a bunch of prospects. There are a couple more weekends in line this month. Uh, as Brian Doan alluded to, Penn State's you know, trying to make the most three straight weekends getting recruits to town. Seems like there's a sense the next weekend, the 28th, is going to be perhaps a, a yeah. bigger event, and, and we'll see how that comes together. Plenty of reporting coming at lines247.com. But what's the before we get into some specific names, what's the overall feel about what's developing toward this Saturday? I think it's going to be another solid weekend for Penn State in terms of which guys are making it to campus. I do anticipate the 28th being a bigger, if you want to say bigger, in terms of just where these some of these guys are in the rankings and where they are on the board. I would say the 28th is maybe the bigger weekend, but 21st, still a bunch of solid guys. And you just talked about once we get into those names, you, you guys will see. You know, This is going to be a good weekend, too. This is a good opportunity for Penn State to really move up the list of some guys they want to add in this 2024 class. Let's begin with a top-rated player in the state of New York, Josiah Brown. Uh, he's a four-star athlete in 24-7 sports assessment, a top 24-7 prospect at number 125 overall in the nation. Yeah, I think this is a guy who has top 50 potential when it's all said and done. He's really just a dynamic weapon at wideout. He's among Penn State's top targets at the position. And they've been trying to get him back to campus. You know, he tried to make it during the fall, and he had some issues with, you know, his Trinity schedule. There's a lot going on there. Guys are busy during the season. It is what it is. Saturday games, you know how much goes into that. So they're excited to get him back in town. And just as a regional guy, that's one you'd really like to keep close to home, especially just given his talent. I know Notre Dame's over him. There are, there are a lot of 
high-profile programs all over him. And Penn State's high on his list right now from what I've been able to gather. So, again, I just touched on it. Opportunity to climb up lists and really assert yourself as a top contender for guys that you want. Brown's one of them. We just saw Penn State sign two running backs in their 2023 class. Both of them will get to campus in the summer. Uh, always forward-focused is J1 Sider and the Penn State staff, though, looking for the next big-time rushers. A couple of them expected on campus that we're going to get to here, both of the four-star variety. And we'll begin with a name that you brought up a few times here on the podcast, Duke Watson uh, out of Georgia. You may look at this on the surface and, and, and see, look, a high-level running back from the South trending towards Penn State potentially? Yeah, it's interesting with Watson. So he was at Georgia Tech over the weekend, and he had a good visit there. But it seems like Penn State's still at the top of his list, as it has been pretty much since that offer rolled in. There's just something about Penn State for Watson in my conversations with him. He just loves the history of the program. He loves the running back room. He's said so many good things to me about what Catron Allen and Nick Singleton accomplished as freshmen. I think that's the one thing that probably really caught his interest more than anything. Like you could see these two true freshmen going out there and balling out on a weekly basis. You know, you watch that at home. You say, why can't that be me if I was to go there? You know, why can't Jay Juan Sire turn me into that kind of player? So I think that's big for Watson. And <laughs> yeah, I remember when I first talked to him, he told me, man, one thing I know about Penn State, one of the few things I know is cold up there, so I'm going to have to bundle up when I go. So you know, <laughs> I, hope he, I hope he has his jacket with him this weekend, man. He's, it's not what he's used to in Georgia, but he's really hyped about this visit, and I think Penn State has a good chance to really cement itself at the top of his list coming out. And Watson's not really one. He's, he, I don't think he's waiting much longer to commit. I think if he feels at home somewhere, he's going to pop. And that might not be, you know, right after the visit, but – if Penn State, if everything's good there and, you know, Penn State's in position to take him, I think it can come together sooner rather than later. That's how high Watson is on the Nittany Lions at this point. Can confirm that it's cold up here right now, but, uh, you know, sometimes it's worth making the trip. Uh, you know, We're you used to it, just man. Ask Malik McLean about that. I mean, the man made the move from Florida real fast exactly. in the dead of winter, so you can get motivated and make the move. Uh, just looking through what Duke Watson has done at the high school level the last couple of seasons, Tyler, 1,600-plus yards as a sophomore, did that again as a junior, 39 total rushing touchdowns the past couple of seasons. But one thing that's missing from his prospect profile right now is a boatload of SEC offers. You know, we're not talking about Penn State fighting Georgia, battling uh, Florida, uh, or fighting off Alabama to get the Georgia recruit. What's your sense of, of why that happens? It's not, a, I mean, it's not necessarily the strangest thing. Parker Washington came to Penn State, and none of the big programs in Texas offered him. This kind of stuff happens, especially when you go into the more talent-rich areas of the country in terms of high school football prospects. But I thought that was interesting. I was scrolling through his 24-7 sports profile, looking for some of those bigger Southeast college names, and didn't see several of them. Yeah, man, it's just one of those things where, you know, he doesn't necessarily play at a Georgia powerhouse. There aren't necessarily as many eyes on him as there are other guys. It just, you know, it comes down to the depths of the evaluation that these staffs make. And programs like Georgia, LSU, Bama, you know, their running back boards are stacked with guys who are, you know, high four-star, five-star guys from the South. So for Watson, as good of a player as he is, it's tough for him to break through in some instances. And that's not a knock on him. That's just how recruiting works sometimes, you know. I feel like if his recruitment goes on longer and longer where he is uncommitted and maybe some other running backs come off the board for some of these high-level SEC programs, he could get that offer. He's that kind of player. He's good. He's a four-star level player in my opinion. So like you said, you touched on with Parker Washington. It's just sometimes this stuff happens. You know, Guys just fly under the radar. 
I remember when I was covering Boston College, there was this linebacker, Trevin Wallace, who wound up climbing into the top 100 by the end of his recruitment. He ultimately wound up at Kentucky, but it took a really, really long time for programs to, you know, center on him. And he was an elite-level high school player in the heart of Georgia. So it's tough. It just happens to some guys sometimes. And there was another name I was going to get to here, and you have him reported as coming here. But uh, things move quickly. And, and and Anthony Carey, I've seen, at least as of yesterday, putting out there that he'll be at Miami this weekend. So a top 24-7 Florida running back. I know he just told you, what, a few days ago it was going to be Penn State. This yeah. is kind of where we're at with guys making decisions. Correct me if I'm wrong. I was just doing a little bit of, uh, of homework on, on him before we got into the conversation, and I saw that he popped up as confirming he's heading to Coral Gables on Saturday. So I guess this one may be an adjustment. Yeah, I realized that. Just <laughs> we, I realized that just before we hopped on. That, that's Florida recruiting for you, man. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he, he has an interest in Penn State. I know that in just talking to people familiar with his recruitment. So it wouldn't surprise me if he makes it to campus maybe on the 28th or, you know, sometime later in the spring. I don't think this necessarily shuts the door for Penn State or anything right. like that. But, yeah, it was looking like he was going to make it this weekend. That's obviously not going to be happening now. So he'll be staying a little bit closer to home. He won't be uh, joining Duke Watson with his jacket this weekend. So No, so I, I was wrong about that one, but in uh, teasing the two running backs. But uh, we have a lot more to get to. And, and by the way, Kerry uh, picked up an offer in, in January of 2022. He's been uh, on the radar for a while out of Carrollwood Day in the Tampa area. Uh, but one name, uh, again, getting back to the Pennsylvania prospect scene now, Amelia Agard. Uh, we've heard about him for years now. Uh, he was uh, one of those players who surfaces as a freshman with Power 5 offers. And when you play at a school like St. Joe's Prep, in Philadelphia, you're not going to be walking away from that spotlight anytime soon. Uh, where is he right now in, in terms of Penn State's assessment? He's a guy who's dropped the three-star status in 24-7 sports. He's still a four-star in the composite, but certainly the complexion of his prospect profile has evolved since uh, that those freshman offers. There are questions with Agar, and I would say none of those questions really center around the quality of the player himself. I feel like he's a good player. I got the chance to see him in person at Rutgers earlier this year when – St. Joe's played St. Peter's prep out of Jersey, and he's got talent. It's evident. You could see it. I think there are just questions about where does he fit in the secondary at the next level? You know, is he a nickel? Is he a safety? But is he a safety? He's 5'10. You know, he's on the smaller side. So can he cover in the nickel? That's something Stabs are going to have to figure out. And that's why I feel like his recruitment's going to go on a little while longer for sure. I think this is going to be something that drags out through the spring and the summer as Stabs work through their evaluations. And I know Clemson's really high on him. And he's got a loaded top five. You know, there are a bunch of big programs involved with him, and Penn State being one of them. So they're going to get him back on campus this weekend. You know, staff will probably have some more figuring out to do. Agar will get more comfortable with, you know, just being in Happy Valley and being around the staff. So really fluid situation on multiple fronts just because it's tough to say exactly what his future is as a defensive back. He's a good player, no doubt. But what exactly is he going to be doing at the next level? I think that's the biggest question mark with him right now. Let's finish with this 2024 cycle. Folks have been waiting for some momentum to come the Nittany Lions way. Anthony Specka's commitment adds some of that. Do you get the sense that in the next month, let's say, we're going to see this class continue to grow? Or is this more of a, you got Specka on board, now it's time to be patient again? See, I feel like it's a timing thing. You know, I think Penn State definitely has momentum after this commitment. And could that lead to some other guys getting on board? I think it's definitely possible. But I just feel like we're seeing more as we move further and further away from the COVID shutdown where guys couldn't make visits and recruiting, you know, 
was kind of turned on its head as we move further and further away from that and we move back towards a more traditional timeline. I just feel like so many more recruits are inclined to take their time and go through all their spring and summer visits and then make a decision. So while Penn State's momentum is now after the Specca commitment, that could also carry over into the spring and summer as well, right? You know, Speck is going to be talking to guys. Cooper Cousins is going to be talking to guys. They're going to be preaching everything that, you know, that led them to commit. So are we talking about a rush of, you know, five, six commits right now? No, probably not. But, you know, come the spring and the summer, that momentum could still very much be here. It's not something that dies out necessarily. So yeah. it's a good get. You got two guys who are really high-quality guys, and they're going to be leaders in that class. And they're going to be pushing guys to stay home. So – as long as Penn State stays fresh in the minds of a lot of these guys, there's going to be momentum, and there's going to be a chance for them to close on a lot of their top guys, especially the in-state ones. And it doesn't hurt that every single time people are talking about the 2023 college football season, it feels like Penn State's going to be mentioned as yeah. one of those teams to watch with players to watch, and uh, that momentum is going to be unavoidable uh, right now, which is a good thing if you're the Nittany Lions and, and out there on the recruiting trail, it's not going to hurt you in any way, shape, or form. Uh, we've got some loose threads still hanging out there for the 2023 cycle. Not much more in the offensive line conversation, but uh, we'll be keeping tabs on that at lines247.com here in the coming weeks. Still have the February signing day. Uh, but as we've alluded to a bunch of times, 2024 at the forefront. Great job breaking down that group, circling back to some of the transfer portal conversations that we were sorry to have you miss early in the week. Tyler, keep killing it. Lines247.com. Always great to get you on the podcast. Great to be back, man. All right. Talk to you soon. Uh, Tyler Calvaruso, good stuff. Brennan Sanone from the Florida State site. Thanks again to him uh, on this latest edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. As news breaks, you can find out what's happening, the reaction, what it means moving forward at lines247.com, where today on a Thursday, we've got a couple stories up. One, recapping the NFL draft declarations uh, for Penn State and the significance of those. And then I sat down and spent several hours charting our way through the past couple weeks of what's gone on since the Rose Bowl. It is remarkable just how much this roster has evolved in those two and a half weeks since the team got on a return flight from Pasadena. That's all at lines247.com right now. For now, stepping aside and excited to talk to you next week with a couple more shows. I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks for tuning in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!